morning. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, if you guys are here in the house, and for those watching, welcome to our, our, our family. I pray that you really feel the spirit uh, this morning as we open his word. We're in this series called Jesus is Greater, and we've been going through the book of Colossians. And today we'll be in chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles or open up your apps. Get ready, because we're going to read that in just a moment, all right? Uh, before we open up, I want to share last weekend here at the church, we had an Ohana event where uh, Eric Ossendorf, he's a toy maker, toy designer, he offered to hold a robotics class for dads and their kids. Uh, so it was like father-son, father-daughter event. And so I was here with my four-year-old, and we, we were here building robots, and after uh, the kids built the robots, they were all playing with the robots together, and the dads were over here kind of cleaning everything up, putting things away. When someone calls out, they say, Pastor Greg, your daughter had an accident. And so I, I rush over to where the kids were, and sure enough, my daughter is standing there, and she had an accident. She's standing in this puddle, and she has tears just streaming down her face. Just an embarrassment. She's four years old, totally potty trained. Like, this hasn't happened in a long time, but I think she was so excited to be there, and she didn't want to leave the scene, so she's trying to hold it, and she had an accident. So I see her in her tears. I run, and I sweep her up, and I run her into the church building, because down this hall over here, we have a family room where there's a changing table, and there's baby wipes, and there's diapers, and so um, we're in the family room, and I take off all the wet, soiled clothing. I take it off. I clean her up, and then all of a sudden, I run into a problem. I got nothing to put back on, right? Because she's four years old. We don't have like a diaper bag anymore with an extra change of clothes. We just never needed that. And so I'm like, what do I do now? And so I'm just looking through the drawers. I'm like, maybe there's a diaper that fits a four-year-old. And I'm, I'm looking for diapers. And, and my daughter, Ernea, goes, no, I don't want a diaper. She's like, no diaper. I'm like, Ernea, I have nothing to give you. You can't go back outside if you have nothing to put on. So I'm like, we have to find a diaper. She's like, no, I'm not wearing a diaper. I'm like, what are you, 14? Like, when did you get so self-conscious? And she just refused. And so I had no option. I said, okay, if you don't want to wear anything, I can't bring you out there. You'd be unpresentable. And so because she refused like a ninja, I had to stealthily, when nobody was looking, run her to the car through the parking lot and then hide her in the car until the event was over. She was unpresentable. That was last weekend. That was last Sunday. Last Sunday... Todd Hoshiko, our youth director, preached through Romans uh, or Colossians chapter 3, this portion where it talks about if Christ is in us, that we need to put off the old self. We need to take off the old self, the things of our old life like sexual immorality and wrath and anger and slander and envy. We take that stuff off like soiled clothing. But what good is it if we don't put anything back on? We would be unpresentable. And yet as Christ followers, where, where Christ dwells in us now, Colossians 3, 12 through 17 teaches us that we are to not only take off the old, but Christ now gives us new clothes to put on. And I want to show you today in today's message how we can represent Christ by presenting Jesus to those around us. Okay, so let's pray and let's ask the Lord to bring us into the scriptures today. Would you join me in prayer? And Father God, we want to stop and pray. And we want to give thanks to you, God. I want to give thanks because we have a place like this where we can come 
into the shelter and worship you together, and we don't have to fear. But what a privilege that we can come and worship and not fear our lives. There are brothers and sisters in this world who don't share that privilege. And right now, I want to pray specifically for Afghanistan. I'm thinking about brothers and sisters, Christians like us, who, who could get killed for declaring a faith in Christ. And even beyond the Christians, there's, there's women and children and others whose lives are threatened right now. And so we, we don't want to forget them. We want to bring them before you and say, God, would you be their strong tower? Would you be the refuge to which they can run? And I, if they don't know you, I pray that they would know you, that you would show yourself to them. God, reveal your glory to them. So we pray for Afghanistan. We pray for Haiti. We pray that all over the world right now you'd be showing your glory and do that right now in this room or as we're watching online or maybe we're under the tent. I pray that we would see your glory through your words and your truth. And so speak to us now. We give your hearts and our minds and we pray this together in one voice. We all say amen. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 3. I want to start off by reading the first verse and it goes like this. In verse 12, it reads, put on then right, because we just put it off, off the old self. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. So you could pause right there. And here's the first takeaway I'd love for you to take away. If you're writing notes, you might want to write this down. Dress in the clothes of Christ. The first way we can present Christ to those around us is dress in the clothes of Christ. I want to ask a question this morning, WWJW, what would Jesus wear? What, what would Jesus wear? What did he wear when he was walking this earth? And Paul gives us a list of five Christ-like garments that Jesus wore and he gives to us to now put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. I won't spend too much time breaking down each one of these in these lists, but let me shed some light on at least a few of these, okay? So starting with compassion. I have to say that compassion in the Greek is probably one of my favorite words in the Greek New Testament. Paul uses the word splanchnon. Everybody say splanchnon. Say it out loud. Splanchnon. One more time louder. Splanchnon. Don't forget that word. What does that word mean? Well, literally... It's the bowels, it's the guts, it's our inner organs. And the ancients believed that the the intestines were the seat of our strongest emotions. This is where we feel everything. And I think you guys probably get that, right? I have a friend I know, this guy loves sports. Just loves to read about sports, loves to watch sports, loves to play sports. It gets him so excited. And as a youth, he loves sports. And so every time he would play ball, he would get on the field. I kid you not, like every time we would play ball, even if it was just playing catch, like five minutes in, we're playing catch, and then he would stop and he'd walk off the field. He said, I'll be back. I'll be back. And he'd disappear for like 10 minutes. Why? Because he was so excited to play sports, it was literally moving the bowels within him. Like he was so excited, and that's what the ancients believed. This is where we feel our strongest emotions. And the ancients weren't full of it because even today, modern doctors and gastroenterologists will tell you that our mind, our brain is connected to our gut. 
that it's sensitive to the thoughts and the emotions we have, that, that sometimes when you feel strongly about something, you feel it. You literally feel it. Have you ever been so nervous about maybe a test or public speaking that it made you feel nauseous? Have you ever received news that was gut-wrenching? Have you, have you ever been so anxious that it, it hurt your stomach? Have you ever laid eyes on someone and you felt butterflies in your stomach? My wife has, right? You can, you can ask her all about it. No, I'm just kidding. No, but, 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 but our mind and our emotions are connected to our God. So this idea of compassion is, in the Bible is, is we shouldn't just do things out of action. Like, don't just do things. Like, we could give money to the poor. We could give food to the hungry. But Christ shows us that we have to feel from the depths of our being when we see someone in need, someone suffering, someone hurting. We should have compassion. We should feel something deep within us that will cause us to move toward them. Now, here's the thing. I know that you can't just get yourself to feel something that's not there. Like you can't just tell yourself to have compassion for your unbelieving neighbor or for that person in Afghanistan or for your friend's grandma who has cancer. Like you don't know them, so I don't feel anything. So what do you do as a Christian if we're supposed to have compassion? I want to suggest something, that if you don't have compassion, ask for it. Like ask, God, God, help me to have compassion for this person. Ask the Christ in you to put in you something that's not in you and that's not from you. Ask him to move within you. Christ who is in us is a compassionate God. God saw you in your suffering, suffering in your sin, and it moved God from heaven to earth. And Christ came because of your suffering. Now, if you, if, you, if you don't feel it, we ask him, you know, in this room, every, before every service, every weekend, we have all the volunteers and servants, we circle up behind that area right there, and we get on our knees, and we just pray. We pray, and one of the things you'll often hear during those prayers is, God, give us compassion for every soul that walks in, every soul that listens online. Give us love for the people we're about to serve. See, because anybody could just click slides or turn on and off lights or play a guitar or preach a message. And we could go through that motion because we've done it week after week after week. But God, help us to love every soul like you love them. Help us to serve because we break with compassion. So, so that's the first thing that Paul tells us to put on, compassionate hearts. And then there's Humility. And I love the idea of humility, which I think sometimes we get wrong because humility is not saying, well, I'm not the most attractive in my group of friends, or I'm not the most athletic on my team, or I'm not the most godly in my life group. That may not necessarily be humility. That could be insecurity. That could be a low self-esteem. Humility is not saying, oh, I'm the scum of the earth. When, when God's hands fashioned you are a masterpiece, wonderfully created, don't rob God of his glory. But humility is something different, I believe. 
And I look around this church, and, and I know there's a lot of examples of humility, and I'll share with you just one. I think about Gene Oshiro. I don't know if you're here, Gene, but Gene is someone who I know always is thinking about other people. And a lot of people in this church she thinks about, and, and my family is one, and she's always been so gracious to my family. She knows my son loves sports, and so she's always cutting out newspaper clippings of the Dodgers and the Lakers whenever they win, and they'll, she'll bring it to the church and say, hey, give these to Evan. She's always thinking about my daughters, and, and she gives them treats and snacks to have. Every holiday, whether it's Valentine's or Easter or Thanksgiving or Christmas, she's thinking about gifts to give to my wife seasonal gifts, and we've been objects of her, of her kindness. And, and so recently her husband passed away, and we, we just wanted to be there for her. We wanted to express condolences and, and comfort her. And so my wife and I, we were here at the memorial service, and I'm looking for her because I, I want to, quite frankly, I wanted to just give her a hug. I just wanted to express sympathy. I'm looking for her, and she's going around, and she's handing mints to everybody she called them bereavements, and she's handing them out to everybody, and she, hand, she gets to me, and before I can say where she gives me a mint, and then the first thing out of her mouth, before I could even say anything to her, she says, Pastor Greg, I'm so sorry for the loss of your mountain bike. She's like, I'm so sorry that some thief stole your bike, Howard, and I'm like, Gene, like, that's the last thing on my mind right now. Like, don't worry about that. How are you? Like, she's expressing sympathy to me when she should be the one receiving sympathy. But I love that picture because I think that's humility. One pastor put it like this. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's not robbing God of his glory and saying, I'm the scum of the earth, but, but you're so consumed with thoughts about others that you don't have time or space to be consumed with thoughts about yourself. That's humility, and I see it in so many of us in this church, and let's continue to put on the humility of Christ. Like Christ, let's think of others above ourselves. And then there's patience that we should be putting on. Patience. And I love the idea of patience. It's, it's this idea or this ability that you don't get so frustrated or enraged because of someone else's shortcomings, because someone else is imperfect. It's, it's when you decide or you opt to suffer just a little bit longer rather than retaliate or react toward this imperfect person. That's patience. Years ago, I was at a wedding in Hawaii, and uh, man, it was hot under that Hawaiian sun. It was like 90 degrees humidity, hot Hawaiian sun. And so we're here at this wedding. I'm in the seats, right? So I got my light button up on, but I'm looking at the wedding party, and I feel bad for the people in the wedding party. My friend Jason was the best man, and he's standing there. He's got a full-on suit, like black suit. And I'm like... Life is terrible for you right now. And he's standing there, but he's so cool up there. He's standing there not even moving, not fanning himself, not wiping off. And I'm telling you, someone turned the faucet on on his head because he's like pouring sweat, like waterfalls coming down his face. And yet he's so cool up there just standing there, staring at the bride and groom. And afterward, I said to Jason, I said, Jason, man, how are you not hot up there? Like, how are you not hot? He says, I was dying. 
He's like, it was so hot. I'm like, well, you played it off well because you didn't flinch. You didn't fidget. You didn't fan yourself off. You didn't wipe off your sweat. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I didn't want to be a distraction. I didn't want to distract from the bride and groom. In other words, he says, this is their moment. I'll suffer just a little bit longer. And I'm telling you, the preacher that they was preaching, the official was going on. He was talking, and it was going on and on. But he kept saying, I'll suffer just a little bit longer so as not to take away from the bride. He was putting them and their interests before his own. The Bible says that Jesus is our groom, and the church is the bride. And I want to ask you, would you be willing to suffer just a little bit longer so to put Christ and others in the church before yourself? Would you suffer just a little bit longer? Because that's patience. That's the kind of patience I believe we're called to put on. Speaking of suffering, the next garment of Christ that Paul tells us to put on is forgiveness. Look at verse 13, and it reads like this. He says, also bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint or a grievance against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now, forgive, usually when I teach uh, about forgiveness, the word that I read in the scriptures is the Greek word afiemi. And that's the word to release or to let go, right? You're, You're letting someone go. So like when someone says sorry to you and they're like sincere about it, okay, I forgive you. I let you go. Or someone owes you money and there's a debt to pay and they pay it back. Okay, thanks. You're free to go. You're you're forgiving them. And yet in this passage, it's not the word afiemi, which is usually used in the New Testament. It's it's another word for forgiveness. It's the word karitzomai. Karitzomai. And, And I share that with you. You don't need to necessarily memorize it. But I share it with you because the root word in charitomai is charis. Who knows what charis means? It means grace. It's when something's not deserved. It's when it's unmerited. And you show someone favor, though they don't deserve it. And so when, when we try to get someone to, to apologize, a lot of times when someone wrongs us and they cause suffering in us, we want them to say sorry. We want them to pay us back. We want them to make it up with a favor. And if they do, well, what does that do for us? That soothes our suffering. You've caused me pain and I've suffered. And so by you doing that makes it a little bit better. We're trying to even out the playing field. And yet, if, if somebody has wronged you, and they do say sorry, or they do pay it back, or they do make it up in some way, then I would say to you, praise the Lord. Like, praise the Lord that they recognize the pain they've caused you. But what do you do when they don't recognize what they've done, or they don't say sorry, and they don't make up the debt? What do you do? I want to suggest, Christian, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How? Specifically, praise the Lord that he suffered for you. That that Christ died for you when you didn't deserve it. That he came from heaven to earth to hang on a cross when, when you did nothing. That he owed you nothing. 
That when you couldn't pay for your sins, you could never make up for the sins you've, you, you've committed against God, Christ suffered for you. Praise the Lord for his grace so that you might be forgiven. Praise the Lord. And when we think about that and we're reminded of the grace, the unmerited favor he, show, he has shown us, then that ought to move us to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. As Paul's calling us to do right now, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. If we're trying to put on Christ and we're trying to show people the Christ in us, then how can we show them Jesus by forgiving as he has forgiven us? How is that? Completely by grace. And yeah, it's going to take some suffering. But true biblical forgiveness means that sometimes we're going to be willing to suffer to offer favor and grace toward the offender. So these are some of the ways we're to display Christ, right? And, and dress ourselves with the clothes of Christ. Compassion, patience, humility, forgiveness, meekness, kindness. Dress in the clothes of Christ. But I want to go on. How else can we present Jesus to those around us? Number two, here's another takeaway. Write this down. Fight for the unity of Christ. So not only do we dress in the clothes of Christ, but we can fight for the unity of Christ. Because we go on in verse 14 and 15, Paul writes this, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Circle those two words, perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. Circle those two words, one body, and be thankful. And so Paul here reminds us that we are called to one body. We're to be bound together in perfect harmony. Remember a couple weeks ago in chapter 2, uh, Paul was warning against these spiritual umpires, these spiritual referees who would try to judge others based on uh, whether they do these things or don't do these things, right? Legalism, asceticism, mysticism, and they're even trying to disqualify people, saying you don't have salvation, you don't have heaven if you're not living a certain way. He says, don't let them judge you. Don't let them be your spiritual umpires. Well, here in chapter 3, he uses the same word picture, and he says that we should have an internal umpire in our hearts. He says the peace of Christ should be the umpire in your hearts. And I'm not just making that up. The word he uses for rule, when you let the peace of Christ rule in you, is the word brabueto. And that word literally is translated to act as an umpire to be a judge in an athletic competition. And so if the peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts, what's it going to do? Well, it's going to start blowing the whistle on us if we're out of line with Christ and violating the peace and unity of his body. That's at least one thing the peace of Christ will do in our hearts to rule. Last week, uh, Todd was up here preaching, and uh, we're so Glad to have Todd on our team here at SBCC. And uh, he did a great job. And if you think he could preach, you should watch him play ball, right? This guy can ball. I mean, literally, he's probably one of the best basketball players I've seen on the court that I've played with. And so we were playing with the college guys a couple weeks ago. 
And <laughs> so, so we're playing on the course. He's so much taller than me and so much more athletic than I am. But we're, we're, we're both inside. Me and Todd were inside, okay? And there's a shot and a rebound goes up. And with all that is in me, right, I'm boxing this guy out. And as the ball goes up, in my mind, I'm like, I am not letting Todd get the ball. And so with all that I in me, uh, that, that's in me, I jump up. And right when Todd's about to grab it, I swat it out of his hands. And the ball goes down court. And Todd's running down court. And in my mind, I'm like, I am not going to let him get the ball. So I'm on him. I chase him down the court. And I stick on Todd. Until some, someone, one of the college students, yells out, Pastor Greg, same team. You're on the same team. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's on my team. I, and it's not like the beginning of the game. We had been playing for a while. Like, I totally forgot this competitiveness in me was wanting to make sure that Todd doesn't get the ball. But we were on the same team. When the peace of Christ rules in our hearts and we play out our faith, one of the criteria in which it rules is this. Does our action or our thoughts toward another believer reflect that you're on the same team? When you feel envious because someone else seems to be doing so much more for the kingdom of God with their gifts than you. When you get annoyed at a sister because of the way she is. When you get jealous because another brother is being recognized by leaders and you seem to be overlooked. And you start hating on another ministry or another church because they're getting more people. May the peace of Christ rule and blow the whistle and say, same team, same team. We're worshiping the same God, part of the same kingdom. We're on the same team. Monica and I, uh, we've been married for 12 years. And uh, in the early parts of our marriage, yeah, we argue. Like, we got in a lot of fights. And as the years go on, we still argue, but they're fewer and fewer. And, and honestly, I, I look back, I'm thankful because I think we're learning to fight better. We're learning to fight better. And one of the things we agreed on that we weren't always so good at is that in front of the kids, we said, we will always show that mommy and daddy are on the same team. So in front of the kids, even though we don't disagree with each other, let's not oppose each other or contradict each other. Let's show them mommy and daddy are on the same team. And if we disagree, then behind doors, then we'll hash it out there and we'll duke it out there. But I'm being convicted because what I realize is if the peace of Christ rules in both of our hearts, then that shouldn't just be a face we put on in front of our kids. That even behind closed doors, we got to see that we're on the same team and we shouldn't fight with each other or against each other. We should fight for each other. Let's fight for each other in this marriage. I love how Josh Stroud puts it. He says like this, when conflicts come up in your marriages or in relationships, here's Step one, get together and meet up in the locker room. And I love that picture there because, because getting into the same locker room reminds us, hey, we are on the same team. We're not in different locker rooms. And the locker room is where we could come and we could regroup and let's come up with a plan. We're losing right now, but let's come up with a plan so we can fight together and win this. Let's fight for each other. And as a church, if we are on the same team, we come together in the same locker room. 
We're wearing the same uniform, the clothes of Christ. Let's put it on, and let's stop fighting against each other, and let's fight for each other for the glory of Jesus. We're one body, one team. So let the peace of Christ rule, and let's fight for unity in Christ. And so we dress in the clothes of Christ. We fight for the unity of Christ. Now Paul gives us one more way we can present Christ to those around, around us, how we can show Jesus to those around us. And it's not so much something we put on, but some, sometimes it's what we sing out. So here's the last takeaway. Would you write this down? Number three, sing out the words of Christ. Sing out the words of Christ. So let's finish the passage. Verse 16 and 17 says this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How? Through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we can sing out the words of Christ. And I want you in verse 16, if you would circle the word dwell. Circle that word dwell. Because what Paul's saying, he says, let the word of Christ, that's just right here. The word of God, the message of the gospel and its truths. Let it dwell in your hearts. Let it dwell among you richly. And that word dwell means to take up residence. Let it live here. Let it settle down and set up its home among you, plural, right? Rather than letting it be a visitor that just comes and goes. Rather than the word of Christ just coming in one ear and then out the other. How many of you guys, uh, two weeks ago I gave a message from Colossians 2. How many of you guys remember the five points I gave from that message? Raise your hand uh, so I could call on you. What, what are the five points? Wow, really? Nobody? <laughs> That's okay, I'm not mad because I get it. I get it that after service, you're not walking to your car reciting the points from my messages. You're not waking up in the shower tomorrow morning singing out the takeaway truth from my message. That's not normal. That'd be weird. Like, we don't do that. I get it. And unless you took notes and you're writing it down, you're probably going to forget much of what you've heard. But how many of you guys have had that experience where after a service you go to a car and you're actually singing the songs that we just sing in worship? That sometimes it actually is on repeat because you can't get it out of your head. And some of you tomorrow morning will wake up, take a shower, get ready for the day, and you're singing some of the songs still from today's worship. Because that's what music does. Music makes things repeatable and memorable. And so when we sing, what we're trying to do with these songs are taking theological truths, biblical truths that have been put to music, and we're proclaiming out the words of Christ in hopes that it settles down into our hearts. And that's why our worship leaders take their job seriously. They'll work with the pastors and preachers. What are you preaching on this week? What's the passage? What's the main idea? And they're going to try to choose songs that reinforce and reaffirm the messages that we are preaching. And so when we come together to worship, this is a time for us to gather so that we can all participate and proclaim Christ's word together. 
that's why corporate worship is so important that we gather and sing because this is the time when we together proclaim God's word. The preaching time is when the pastors get to proclaim the word of Christ. But the singing time, which is going to happen in just a moment, is when the people get to proclaim the words of Christ to each other. And we teach each other and admonish each other with theological and biblical truths. And so understand this, when we sing corporately, we're not just bringing glory to God vertically, but music is our medium for ministry horizontally as well. When we sing corporately, this creates an opportunity and a space for us to bring glory to God where God is glorified first and foremost, but so also so that those around us might be sanctified by the truths that we're proclaiming. So when you sing, understand that you might be helping a youth among us to be reminded of how worthy of worship is our God. When we sing, you might be encouraging a weary mom sitting in a seat next to you. When we sing, we might be really speaking truth into the heart of an unbelieving atheist who happened to join us for worship. When we sing, you might be encouraging a depressed and discouraged dad who's been so desperate for the past few weeks. When we sing, you might be helping a suffering student who's at their wit's end and can't seem to take it anymore. And you're reminding them that God can be trusted. And Jesus has a hope above all hopes. And our God is worthy to be worshipped. Our sister uh, in this church, her name is Darren. She said, I could share this story with you. But a couple weeks ago, she said she was an emotional mess, just in shambles. Wednesday, she heard news of a family situation, just a tragic family situation. Wednesday, she was a wreck. Thursday, she was a mess. Friday, she couldn't make sense of anything. Saturday, she's at her wit's end. Every single day, she was just spiraling down. And she said on Sunday, she started praying. And she said she started crying out to God, saying, God, please show me and remind me that you are in control. And please show me what do I have to do to keep myself from going insane. And she said, my, my emotions were like pieces of a puzzle on the table. Nothing was fitting. Nothing was making sense. And she said, as I sat there in my tears, I sat there still and quiet, just waiting for God to answer me. How am I going to make it through this? And then she says she opens up her phone, and right there is a previous message from SBCC from, from weeks ago. And she's going to listen to it, but then she said to her husband, instead of watching a message on YouTube, I just need to be in church in person today. And so they came to church. And I remember two weeks ago, they were sitting right here in the front row. And as I was speaking, I remember seeing Dare's head just down most of the time. I didn't know what she was going through. I didn't know why, but I found out later that she was going through a lot. But here's what she told me later that week. She texted me. She said, but when the music started playing, she said, when we started singing, God was reminding me that he is a way maker. He's a promise keeper. He's a miracle worker. 
And she said, we began to sing. And the more we sang, she said, it was like all this tense anguish that was building up inside of me was being released. And God was filling me with his love and compassion and reminding me that he is in control. He is in control and he's got this. And she said, that is exactly what I needed. She said, my God always answers me. He always gives me messages and it's often through the music. I was preaching that Sunday. But she said it was the music that ministered to me. We give glory to God for that. Friends, corporate worship isn't just about you. It's not. On any given week, someone might walk in unable to sing. For whatever reason, they can't sing that day. And that's why we need you to sing. That's why your singing matters. Someone sitting next to you might be totally shattered because they just lost a loved one. And they can't sing. And so if we ever come and we sing He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sing it like you mean it. Because someone needs to hear that teaching. Someone might come in here totally idolizing prophets, thinking about money, thinking about the next business deal. And so whenever we sing, Jesus, be the center of it all. Or Jesus, I will build my life upon you. Sing it and proclaim it like you mean it. Because someone needs that admonishment. Someone might walk in here and there's this huge mountain in their life, immovable mountain, this impossible situation. And if ever comes without, we, we, we could sing that we've seen him move. He's moved the mountains. And I believe we'll see him do it again. Sing it like you mean it. Because someone needs your teaching and admonishment as we proclaim the words that are true. And so listen, your presence in this house matters. Your singing matters. Your worship matters. You have no idea how it will minister to someone in the midst of you. And so let's not only let the Christ in us be seen, but let Christ in us be heard as we sing it out. So those are three things, at least from this passage, how we can represent Christ and present Christ to those around us. Dress in the clothes of Christ, fight for the unity of Christ, and sing out the words of Christ. And as we close, I realize, man, it could be so burdensome to try to live a certain way and try to look a certain way as a Christian. And we could get back into this whole performance-oriented religion, this guilt-ridden religion where we're trying to perform to please Jesus, trying to perform to please God. We could get this toxic thinking, if, if I don't look like a perfect Christian, then am I even a Christian? If I don't look a certain way, then am I even saved? And we want to remind you it is by grace we're saved. I want to close by showing you how we open. I want to end today by showing you the beginning. Go back to verse 12. I'll put it up for you. And this is from the NIV version this time. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, therefore clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. What's he saying? He's saying, therefore, as God's chosen people, chosen already, Holy already, 
beloved already. Our identity, in other words, comes first. And out of our identity comes what we now do. Don't get it twisted. What you do does not determine who you are. Who you are influences what you do. Do not get that twisted. One of the greatest things that Paul does in this passage is he reminds us you are chosen. That's your identity. You've been called holy. You're in love. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. That's who you are. My friend Mike, he uh, uh, invited me to his wedding, and he asked me to officiate his wedding. That was an honor. But what was an even greater honor was not only did I get to officiate it, he asked if I would be his best man. What an honor. And so as the months approached his wedding, he called his wedding party together, and the first time we got together, he had us measured up. And he, and he got my neck and my chest and my waist and my thighs and my arms measured up because he said he was going to get us custom dress shirts. And on top of those custom dress shirts, he was going to get us custom tailored suits from the slacks to the vests to the jacket. He was going to custom make suits for us to wear and to keep. That's awesome. So he got us all measured up. And then weeks later, he calls us up and he says, hey, I got your shoes. I got shoes for you guys. He got us matching shoes fit for my feet for us to keep. And then on the day of the wedding, he gave us our purple bow ties that we were going to wear with matching boutonnieres. And not only did he give us bow ties and boutonnieres, but he handed us our, our socks. Not just any socks, purple polka dotted happy socks. Matchy, matchy socks. And so we put them on, and on the day of the wedding, all of the wardrobe came together. We were getting pieces of it leading up to the day of, and on the day of the wedding, we got dressed, and we realized we look exactly like the, the groom. We were perfectly matching the groom. He didn't look at me months before and say, wow, you look like me. You're wearing the same clothes, therefore I choose you to be my best man. No, he says, I choose you. And then he clothed me to be his best man. Not clothed, therefore chosen. Chosen, then clothed. And I want to remind you, child of God, you are a daughter of God. You are a, a son of God. If you've come to him by faith and realize you didn't choose him, he chose you. And if he chose you, he will clothe you. He will clothe you. And it's a process and it's a journey, but walk with him and he is going to clothe you and dress you like the groom. And on that day, the wedding celebration that Revelation speaks of, that it gives us to look forward to, we will look at ourselves and see that we look a lot like the glorious groom because you've been chosen. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Let's pray and give praise. Father God, thank you so much that you've chose us by faith. Our identity is in you. Christ is in us. We're in Christ, and you're not taking that back. You're not going back on that. So thank you for your grace. Nothing we can do earns that, and nothing we do spoils that.
But God, Lord, help us now to just dress up, put Christ on us, give us compassion, give us patience, give us humility, give us meekness and gentleness and kindness and forgiveness, unity, all these things, Lord, but help us not to be discouraged, but encouraged, excited to look more and more like you each day. So help us to walk with you. And God, help us to sing out. Help us to sing our hearts out. Help us to sing in such a way that people see Jesus in us, Lord. And that's what we want to do now, God. You are so worthy of our praise that it's with every breath in our lungs we want to cry out that you are worthy. And so help us now to teach and admonish each other as we sing these spiritual songs of worship. May the words be heard and may Christ be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.